again from the first chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, the most significant words. Mary's husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This morning's reading from the Gospel of Matthew gives us a glimpse of two of humanity's most painful dynamics, the condition of human shame nestled in what I would call a cauldron of fear. And then comes an antidote. It's a visitation from the Almighty. It comes through a word, a dream, a chance encounter, a sign. According to the Bible, sign, something the Almighty effects with regularity. Joseph being a righteous man, what in the world does that mean? A good, God-fearing, virtuous individual. A righteous man, a man with no taint whatsoever of moral turpitude, who would never even think of violating the high-minded and very strict standards of his community. Just imagine the horror of discovering that his fiancée was pregnant. Think of the embarrassment the naked shame of keeping company with a woman whose sin would be ample fuel for nothing less than a public stoning. Oh, the fear that must have been his as he envisioned a host of F-E-A-R, future events appearing real, and how he must have wanted to F-E-A-R, flee everything and run as fast as he could. But then, and only then, comes a message from God, in this case an angel, appearing in a dream with a word so powerful that it sets the record straight and gets dear Joseph back on track. And don't ever think that such occurrences are limited to New Testament goody-goodies like Joseph. If we're all attentive to the work of the Spirit, if we're at all attentive, Visitations like this one with their corrective measures come with regularity. And the issue for us then becomes one of paying close attention. Oh, a toxic mixture of shame and fear. Now that's a recipe for disaster. But you know you can hardly escape this life without concocting that lethal brew. We all get a bitter taste of it at very places along the way. Many of us know only too well the emotional, spiritual plight of Joseph the carpenter. This business of shame and fear, it's a climate for emotional, spiritual, and physical dissolution. Gosh, I thank goodness for the church. Every Advent, I always have something that gladdens my heart. It's a spiritual awakening of magnitude, and it comes every Advent in celebrations of the Eucharist. You're going to hear it in just a moment. Immediately before we read that long prayer wherein we consecrate the bread and wine 
and invoke the power of the Holy Spirit. The priest says these words. He prays that we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing. Now Joseph is certainly testimony to precisely such an awakening. With the appearance of a God via an angel, when he was weighed down at the end of his rope, about to be strangled to death by that terrible bind in which he finds himself. When it comes to setting the record straight and getting back on track, popular author Brene Brown has been so very dear to me. Her TED Talks, her books, her appearances in churches and diocesan conventions and clergy conferences, I have been inspired and really helped as I encounter the gospel of grace. Renee, by the way, is also an Episcopalian. She's an active member of Christ Church Cathedral in Houston. And she, by her own admission, I'm not breaking her anonymity, she's a sober participant in a well-known fellowship that ministers to addictive illness. This is a woman who has paid her dues when she speaks of the human condition. She speaks with utter credibility. And she's one of the very few credentialed scholars on the face of the earth who has ever dared to tackle the dynamic of shame as it seethes in fear of exposure. I've done so much study and research on the subject of shame, and there's just not much written. She is a pioneer. I almost jumped out of my skin one day when I first read her definition of shame. In her book, Daring Greatly, Brown quips that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are unredeemably flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. That there is something about us that disqualifies us from connection. Connection with God. Connection with you as my fellow human being. Connection with me at my deepest level of existence. Wow. Why, connection is the very simply the greatest longing of the human soul. We are hardwired for connection, re belonging, relationship. Community is our natural state. And to feel way down deep in our bones that disconnection is our lot in life is nothing short of hell itself. What in the world could ever disqualify us from connectedness? Well, how about a pregnant fiancé in the first century whose alleged impropriety could trigger a stoning? That might do it. And for us, what about our appearance, our bodily image? Might that trigger a case of shame? Or my family of origin? Or my educational level? Or the side of the tracks on which I arrived? Or my skin color? Or my gender? Or my level of education? Or my sexual orientation? Or the church in which I was brought up? Something about me that I declare, along with a boost from this crazy culture of ours, to be defective, flawed, less than, inferior. So much so that it knocks me out of the running for belonging. Nothing can ever separate us from the gift of love. But there are times in life 
when some of us convince ourselves that the truth is otherwise and we suffer intensely. In her work, Brown uses several examples of shame doing its dirty work, one of which caught my attention in a business based on sales and enterprising boss tried a new motivational technique to kickstart his earnings and to kick his sale force into high gear, and the dynamic was called shaming. He made two signs, one marked winners and one marked losers. The winners, of course, were those who were bringing in the sheaves when it came to sales. The losers were those who had missed the boat one brilliant member of the sales team was always listed at the very top of the winner category until the day came when she made a mistake and lost a client. Her boss moved her from winner sign to loser sign. He posted her name under the word loser. When she walks into the office the next morning, and sees it displayed for all the world to see, exposed as a human being. She felt as if all her fears about herself had been realized. Oh my God, that she really was a failure, a defect, a ringer, a cipher, a non-entity. The woman stopped eating. She developed a serious gastrointestinal disease, and she almost died. She suffered a lethal shame attack and it has the power to do just that. I suspect, no, I don't suspect, I know that a number of you have suffered equal bouts of torment at one time or another. Maybe it was a breakup in relationship. Perhaps it was a loss of a job. Perhaps it was a bout with, a, with some dimension of human sexuality. Maybe an inability to measure up or to be considered a failure by somebody, a loser, a cipher. So many things in this life can cause us to compare and despair and then to give the malignancy of toxic shame an entrance into the soul, and that is hell. You mix shame with fear. That is to say, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And here we are, we're off and running, and we run down that road that leads to perdition. With the sales rep who saw her name on the loser side, I wonder if you and I couldn't have intervened at that moment, Christians that we be at our best moments. Maybe we could have surrounded her with some kind of no-nonsense Christian love and remind her that she was enough, that she belonged, that her connection could never, ever be separate, severed, and that her place at the table was guaranteed. This awful business of suicide becomes a reasonable out when shame, mixed with fear, becomes that toxic. My heart sank and I wept a few weeks ago with the anniversary of Robin Williams' suicide, someone I love so much. And the mention at every anniversary of his suicide, the mention of his own personal torments and embattlements with episodes of shame. We didn't know anything about that because he was so skilled at using humor as a diversion, as a distraction. Don't get close to me. I'm suffering. Many of his public interviews of the past were posted on the anniversary 
I was particularly bemused by one of his comments. He said, I never felt that I truly belonged. I never felt a part of, I only felt a part from. I never felt that I was enough. Now, of course, that is shame-speaking devil talk with these acerbic accusations of disconnection, disruption, no longer belonging, not being enough. How might we help each other remember that we are enough? We are enough by the amazing grace of God. We are enough, period. Whoever, whatever, whenever, if ever we are. If there be a mission for the church on this earth, that's somewhere at the very top of the list, I do believe. I think about this cathedral going through a search for a new dean. I used to cringe when I would receive profiles from parishes seeking a new rector. Oh, thank the Lord above that I'm now out of this running. Parish search committees would invariably write me that they were hoping to find a new priest who would be a skilled administrator, an electric preacher, a benevolent pastor, an exciting teacher, a community leader, a Bible scholar, an urbane good old boy who played golf, a devoted family man, a faithful disciple of Jesus, and someone who could raise $3 million in three weeks. <laughs> oh, dear God, what will they do if and when they discover that I'm a human? That they may find out that I'm not the Messiah? Then what? The gig is up. The only way to answer such a profile or to apply for such a position or to take such a job is to remind myself that by God's almighty and good grace, I'm enough. I'm enough. By the amazing grace of God, I am enough, period. With that, I can step up to the plate and I can stand tall any day, every day. I may have to do all kinds of ecclesiastical calisthenics to win a position in a parish church, and you really have to do that. But there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that I need to do to win God's love or to be a part of Christ's everlasting body or to take my seat at the communion table. That part is assured. That is a given. I use clergy language here because I'm clergy. But I sincerely hope that you can make the leap and translate this into your own realm, whatever that realm is. I am enough. I am enough by the amazing grace of God. I am enough. Let that be your mantra. Despite all my flaws, shortcomings, warts, spots, and sins pertaining thereto. There's no reason on earth to ever wallow in shame. There's no reason to disqualify myself from belonging. Belonging is fait accompli. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. I've got an aside for you. You've got to hear this. I heard the most incredible conversation one day among two of my students. One was moaning and groaning and wallowing in self-pity about losing out or something or other. And the other one said in clear and certain terms, Oh, I wish you would get off the cross. We need the wood. Take that home with you. With the various nightmares that are currently landscaping this world, this nation, this community of ours, there's so many. We simply must step out of the problem if we possibly can and start living the solution. 
As for our gut-wrenching fear that activates all of our very worst character defects and sins, I say we start listening to the angels. Maybe the one who spoke to St. Joseph. Even better, the one who spoke to old St. Augustine way back in the late 5th century. Augustine was overcome with fear. He was groveling on the ground of desperation. He was overcome with toxic shame because of his behavior and earnestly begging for help. And an angel who had the lovely name of Lady Continence said to him, Augustine, Augustine, why do you continue to rely on yourself when you have proved to be so unreliable? Trust God. Let go of your fear, or at least turn down the volume on it, and take a huge leap of faith. The New Testament of our Lord Jesus Christ is so very clear that perfect love casts out fear. And I'm here to say that imperfect love can do the same thing, the kind in which you and I traffic. I saw a little sign yesterday that gladdened my old heart. It said, friends who say I love you before hanging up the phone are so very important. You know, I need to remember that, especially the next time I speak with AT&T. When it comes to shame, as my mother would say, we do ourselves proud to take seriously Brene Brown as she refers to the ABCs of getting back on track. She says to us, number one, remember that we all have shame. It's universal. It's one of the most primitive emotions that we experience. The only people who don't experience shame lack the capacity for empathy and human connection. We call them sociopaths, and we certainly don't want to go there. In other words, shame has some positivity associated with it. Number two, we're all afraid to talk about shame, and yet we must if we are ever to heal. Is there someone on the face of this earth with whom you can talk it out before you act it out? Someone who has earned the right to listen to what you have to say. Someone who will never dare to put you down in any way as you're saying it. And then third on her list is, the less we talk about shame, the more control it has over our lives and the deeper the hole into which we fall. Oh, God does not abandon us. We are constantly being directed to the next right thought and the next right action. Our problem is that we've forgotten to listen, to pray, to meditate, to do the spiritual work necessary. Angelic visitations are not limited to St. Joseph's or St. Augustine's of this world. Expect them. And take their advice seriously. Listen to your dreams. Watch out for coincidences and synchronicities and lanyaps and serendipities. Like Ahaz, ask God for a sign. And if you miss it, as you surely will as a human being, go back and ask God for a billboard and you'll get it. Suffice it to say, we're in one hell of a mess these days. 
emotionally, and spiritually. We're living through a muddle if ever there was one. And I believe it's high time we stop nursing the problems as if they are going to give us sustenance and start turning to the solutions. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.